Hey, well, good morning and welcome to uh, Evident Church this morning. It's so good to have you joining us online or in the parking lot. Um, I cannot wait uh, to be with you in person. Uh, And there's the honking right there, a little bit delayed, but so good to have you guys. And uh, I cannot wait to be back together again um, in person. Uh, Last week, I challenged our kids to to build with Legos or to draw uh, what we talked about last Sunday. And here's what the mayor kids came up with. Uh, They did such a great job of building uh, John the Baptist, baptizing Jesus. And so I want to challenge you again this week uh, to do the same thing. So whether it's with Legos or whether it's drawing something or acting it out, this week is Jesus walking on water and Peter getting out of the boat and walking to Jesus as well. But anyway, I'm so glad you guys are joining us. We're going to take a minute and just pray and ask God to speak to us uh, through his word this morning. So would you guys join me as we pray together? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the next few moments and what you're going to do in our hearts and in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to people wherever they are. I recognize that many people are watching this right now live on Sunday morning from their homes or from their cars or wherever they are, but also many people will watch this at a later time. And Holy Spirit, we know that you can work through all of that. And we trust that to you. We give it to you right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And I want to just get right into the text today. Uh, I want you guys to open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. And rather than me give a lot of commentary, I want to just let the Word of God speak to us today. So Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22, all the way to verse 33. And here's what it says. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from land, but it was buffeted by the waves because of the wind being against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake, and when, he saw, when his disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were there in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And I'm really excited to be able to share with you some lessons from this text and uh, as I spent time praying about what's going on in our world and all around us, um, I just was excited to see what God had to say to us through this. Um, the Bible uses the, the metaphor of storms a lot. It's a powerful metaphor. It helps us understand and describe and put words to um, seasons and moments and feelings and struggles. Um, this season feels like a storm, right? Right? Uh, bad news after bad news. I heard this bad joke. Just go and humor me, humor me for a second. Imagine you're here in the room with me, and this is just normal, okay? So uh, doctor said, I have some bad news, and I have some worse news. 
The bad news is you have 24 hours to live, is what he said to his patient. The patient said, I don't know how anything could be much worse than that. And the doctor said, do you guys know the punchline? The worst news is I forgot to tell you yesterday. All right? Some, th- thank you for the sympathy laughter. I appreciate it. Uh, this is one of those times that we are in a storm. And this, this story in the Bible in Matthew chapter 14 Um, Jesus, they had just tried to take Jesus and make him a political leader by force. Go ahead and read John chapter 6. Jesus ran away from their, their, the mob mentality. They're doing ministry. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Jesus sends them back across the Sea of Galilee where they live, and he stays where he is to pray. It's several hours into their journey this, this row across the Sea of Galilee should have taken two hours. Sounds like a little bit like the three-hour tour that went for a long time, right? So it's nighttime. The wind is against them. And, um, and to make matters worse, they're now starting to see things on the water that look like what, according to them? That look like a ghost, right? So this is, they're in the middle of a storm, literally, And I don't know for you, but for me, this season right now feels like a storm. It's like things are being, the fabric of life is being ripped apart. And whether you are white or black or Democrat or Republican or male or female, we are in a storm. And it feels in many ways confusing and overwhelming and so many different things. So my main question for us today that I've been wrestling with this week personally is how are we to respond? How are we to think and feel and act in this critical cultural moment? And I hope it's a question that you're asking as well. And I believe the the whole point of this text is simply this. I believe it's more important than ever that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's obviously a really easy application from this passage. Peter has to keep his eyes focused on Jesus. Jesus. For me, it is easy to get confused, and for all of us, it's easy to get confused in moments like this. But I want to remind us, first of all, that if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, your core identity is as a Christian. All other identities are secondary to your call to follow Jesus. Whether, whatever your political um, party is, or your race, or your gender, all of those things are secondary, con- uh, connected to, or uh, tied to your, your identity, your main identity, to follow Jesus, and that's what unites us. First and foremost, we are Christians. Go ahead and put amen in the comments. Now, I know not everybody uh, listening to this would call themselves a follower of Jesus, and we're glad that you're a part of what is happening here But I want to speak to those who are followers of Jesus for the next few minutes. In this moment, your identity needs to be wrapped up and focused on what Jesus has done for you. It's more important than ever that we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So that being said, I just want to share a couple things that we see from this text. Here's the first thing. That sometimes God says things that are hard to hear. Now, I'm not Jesus. You don't have to put amen in the comments on that one. And I don't think that I'm one to question Jesus' tact or his timing, but this doesn't seem like the best time to question Peter's faith, right? 
the first words out of Jesus' mouth to Peter are, your faith is puny. That had to hurt a little bit. We live in a time when people think that God would never say anything to hurt my feelings. Some people grew up in a tra tradition, though, that believed that the only thing God ever said were, were harsh things, right? You maybe grew up in a tradition like that. And as a result, you may have a hard time imagining that God loves you, and that's an error. That's wrong. But for others in our current cultural narrative, many people want to believe that God would never say anything to you that would hurt your feelings. And that is also error. Both are wrong. The truth is, sometimes God will say things that hurt your feelings or that are hard in order to help you. I have three kids. You guys have heard me talk about my three adorable, beautiful angel girls. Uh, but every once in a while, uh, the sin nature shows its, itself in them. And uh, we have to say things like, stop hitting your sister. And that may hurt their feelings. But what it's doing is helping them to understand what is right and what is wrong. It's corrective. When I was younger, you guys have heard me talk probably about my story of breaking my arm. I broke my left arm, and it looked about like this. It was almost like an escalator or a stair step. In order to, to have it heal properly, the doctors had to reset it. They had to break it again so that it would heal properly. And it hurt, but it was to help. And Jesus says to Peter, you of little faith, I would have to imagine that Peter says that hurts a little bit, Jesus. Because out of all the disciples, who is the one person who got out of the boat to walk to Jesus? It was Peter. But what does that do when Jesus challenges his faith? It challenges Peter. And as hard as it is, it helps Peter to see that his faith is small, that it could actually be bigger. And in this season, you and I need to be open to some hard conversations with God and with other people. So my question is, what are some of the hard things that God might be saying to you right now in this season? In his book, Dangerous Prayers, Craig Rochelle points out what David points out in Psalm 139. It's a great prayer of, of having God search us. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see, what does it say? If there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Trust me, we want God, the maker of heaven and of earth, to be truthful with us. And if we need to hear something that's hard to hear, I don't, I, I'm not worried about God hurting my feelings. I need God to tell me the truth. So don't reject hard things that God might be saying to you in this season right now. Next thing is this. I believe that God is calling us to look inward before we respond outward. Again, Jesus asks him a question. He says, you have little faith. Why do you doubt? We have to understand that anytime God asks a question, it is not for his information, right? Can we all agree on that? It's not that God doesn't know the answer. Anytime God asks a question, it is for our transformation. So we need to pay attention to the questions that Jesus asks, the questions that God asks. God asks us questions to, to get us to look inward. 
The things that you're wrestling with right now are clues to the things that God wants you to address. What questions is God asking you? And God always wants to do the work inside of you before we try to do the work outside of us. A couple of examples, Matthew 7, 3 and 5, 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me help you get the speck out of your eye when all the time you have a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Again, John 8, 7 Let the one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone. We must always first and continually look inward to let God deal with us first. Amen, church? Uh, In everything that's going on right now, um, there is a lot of pressure, especially on social media, Um, to post, and you feel the pressure, I feel the pressure. I'll be honest with you, that bothers me. Because here's, here's what I think, and here's what I believe. That it's easy to post, and it's hard to change. I am much more interested, personally, in what God is doing in you than what you're posting on social media. One does not necessarily mean the other. If you are for racial justice, good. This will need advocacy, though, weeks and months and years from now. Let me just be clear. Racism is wrong. It's wrong on the basis of who God says we are in him, not just on what culture says. Anyone who is a follower of Jesus must be passionate about racial equality, period. Is there a time and a place for posting? Yes, but let's not confuse posting with productivity. If you feel burdened by what's taking place, I want to challenge you to do something. Let your life be the evidence of what you believe. I want to challenge you to first allow God to do that inner work inside of you to bring true, lasting, helpful change. There's no doubt that Jesus' question to Peter hurt him a little bit and haunted him for a while. But I am confident that this question changed Peter forever. So let me ask you a couple questions for you to be thinking about introspectively. I hope these questions will have the same effect on you that maybe this question had on Peter. So one of my questions to you is, why do you hate? Why do you fear? Why do you roll your eyes? Why do you post? Why do you sleep? Why do you medicate? Why do you make fun? Why do you ignore? The same question Jesus asked Peter is, why do you doubt? Let those questions drive you inward to consider what God is doing in you before you respond to something outside of yourself. 
I also think as we see from this text, I do believe that God expects us to be different. God expects us to be different. Now, this has nothing to do with salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. We don't do anything to be saved except call in the name of Jesus. But Jesus does continually call us as followers of Jesus to more. So as I picture myself in this uh, text, in this story, um, the storm is going on. Uh, Jesus is walking across the water to the disciples. Again, crazy situation. Um, Peter, I feel, I feel like Peter could have picked a better question to ask Jesus, right? Uh, Jesus, if that's you, uh, tell me to come to you on the water, right? It's kind of like we talked about before. Um, it's kind of like an elf saying, your buddy the elf saying, you know, Santa, if that's really you, what song did I sing for you on your birthday? All right, same kind of thing. This really has the connotation, though, um, in, the, in, the, in the original languages of basically Peter is saying, Jesus, um, if that really is you, I want to do what you're doing. I want to walk on water like you are. I want to do what you're doing. If that's you, help me to do what you're doing. So Peter gets out of the boat and begins walking on the water. And, and if I'm there in the scene, I'm giving Peter high fives and major props for walking on the water. Does this make sense? But this is not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't high five Peter. He says, why did you doubt? Jesus um, always raises the bar for us, never lowers it. Grace never expects less from us. It always equips us for more. And I find it interesting that people generally have the expectation that Christians will look and act differently. Have you ever noticed that? That people do have an expectation that Christians will be different. And I think they should have that expectation. Uh, a friend of mine, a pastor in Pennsylvania, uh, posted last week what they were doing for their Sunday morning, and uh, this is what they were talking about. Their, their message was about cops, racism, and the future of America. You guys can go ahead and show those, those pictures. And so this was his post. They were going to be talking about this topic last Sunday at their church. But go ahead and show the next slide. Here's what somebody responded. Tell me how is our president Christ-like? I don't want you to get, in, like, get sucked into the debate of President Trump as a Christian, not a Christian. That's not what this is about. But I want you to notice the question. This person has the expectation that if President Trump is a follower of Jesus, what is the expectation? That, they will, that he will live and act a certain way. Now, we recognize we are sinners saved by grace, like anybody else as followers of Jesus, but it still points out the fact that other people expect Christians to look and act differently, and I believe that they should. See, what's interesting is we don't hear people uh, talking like this about other religions. You guys remember the WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? Um, I don't, I've never seen any of their WWBD. What would Buddha do? We don't find ourselves asking questions of other religions, expecting them. Most other religions are what we would call escapist. That they believe that they should remove themselves from culture and not engage in it. But Christianity is different. Um, John Stone Street and Brett Kunkel, in their book, A Practical Guide to Culture, say this. 
that Christianity, unlike other religions, is not what? Is not escapist. What this means is that unlike other religions who seek to remove themselves from culture, Christianity is the one faith that recognizes it is called to be active in shaping the culture. And since the beginning, it has been Christians who haven't been running from cultural issues, but who've been running to issues and shining God's truth and God's love in the midst of them. You guys tracking with me so far? Here's an example in the uh, first and second century um, AD. One of the evil and vile practices of the first and second century in the Roman Empire was a practice known as exposure. An exposure was basically people who took unwanted pregnancies or unwanted babies and took them out to the wilderness and left them there so that they would die by the exposure to the elements. This was both legally okay and culturally accepted. What Christians did in that moment, though, was Christians began saying, this isn't right. And they would go out to the wilderness, and they would retrieve, and they would recover these babies, and they would raise them and care for them, and they would become their own children. That's not the end of the story, though. Um, In the second century, uh, what happened was you ended up with a disproportionate amount of Christian families having females compared to Roman families because the the female, the, 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 the girls basically who were born were most of the time the ones who were left out in the wilderness for exposure because they were not desirable in their culture. So you ended up with a lot of fa- Christian families with girls and females and a lot of Roman families with men. And what happened was um, eventually when the Romans went to marry, <laughs> the, the Christian families, uh, the math was in their favor. And so what happened was Roman men became followers of Jesus to marry Christian women. And this is one of the reasons why uh, historians believe that Christianity continued to grow in the second century. Isn't that pretty cool? So God used this and God used Christians to shape culture and to make a difference. And he continues to do that even today. We are called, uh, this is what we are called to in this cultural moment. God expects us to be different. The last thing I want to say then is this, that God is calling us to look past the storm in our culture and look to him. It's interesting. Did you notice what caused Peter to doubt in this story? Just, so Peter gets out of the boat. He's walking on water. And what does the text say? It says that when he saw, do you guys remember what it says? When he saw what? When Peter saw the wind. Yeah, when he saw the wind. It wasn't the whole walking on water thing that Peter was concerned about. (laughs) He's walking on water, and that's not what causes him to doubt. What causes him to doubt is the wind and the storm surrounding him. I believe that we are called to sort through the craziness right now and see where Jesus is in the midst of the storm and focus on him. Amen, church? For me, the best analogy that I can use for this is a rubber band ball. Have you ever seen a rubber band ball before? It's just a a collection of rubber bands that are all put together and eventually makes a rubber band ball. 
And this season right now that we're going through, I've felt this myself, is extremely confusing. It's complicated. There are layers upon layers upon layers upon layers. That's one of the reasons I'm challenging us and calling us to find our core identity as followers of Jesus and not in other things. But what I believe God is calling me to do, and what I believe is calling us to do, is to pull out the other elements. Let me list what some of those are. Some of these elements are political. Some of them are religious. Some of them are social. There's rioting and looting. There's peaceful protests. There's white and black issues. There's law enforcement issues. For me, God's been challenging me to sort through all of this and see where he is in the middle of it. What is Jesus doing, and what do I need to hear in the middle of it? And here's what I want to share with you, what I feel like God has been revealing to me. I want you guys to, please, to hear this from me, and I hope that God is doing the same thing in you. Here's what I've come to this past week. If my black brothers and sisters are expressing pain and hurt, then I need to hear that. I can't let this other stuff keep me from hearing this. I can't let myself get distracted by all the swirling stuff and keep me from seeing where Jesus is in the middle of it. I have to pull out the political. I have to pull out whatever else is there and get rid of those things and see where Jesus is, what he's calling me to in the middle of this. It's kind of like when a husband and wife are fighting and the wife might say to the husband, um, you never tell me that you love me. And the husband, instead of saying, oh, you're right, I could do a better job of that. Uh, the husband says, well, uh, you know, you never do this. He just comes back with something else. And as followers of Jesus, we need to rise above that. We need to understand that if we, whatever, wherever Jesus is in the middle, we need to hear that, we need to understand that, we need to listen to that. Jesus rises above all of that, cuts through it. I believe he's calling us as Christians to do the same thing. Let me make a couple of statements, ask a couple of questions, rhetorical questions, just so we understand and have some clarity. Am I for, for peaceful protests? The answer is what? Yes, absolutely. I think that is healthy and good. Am I against rioting and looting? Yes, yes, absolutely yes. Am I for police? The answer is yes. God is a lawgiver and the keeper of law. Am I against racial injustice? Absolutely yes. And I will let my voice and my life speak for itself on those issues. Amen, church? Don't let yourself get caught up in the cultural storm. Rise above all of that as a follower of Jesus. Keep your eyes focused there on what Jesus is doing. Because you and I are first and foremost followers of Jesus before anything else. Um, I love what Tim Keller said in his book, The Reason for God. If you've never read that book, a great book on apologetics, The Reason for God. But one of the things that people say against Christianity is that haven't Christians been a part of so much injustice? And the answer, in all honesty, is yes. 
that there have been a lot of injustices at the hands of Christians and non-Christians. But what he points out, though, in his book is that it's also Christians who were the first ones to come to the forefront and say racial injustice is wrong. And what Dr. Martin Luther King did in the 60s in the civil rights movement was not challenge politicians so much as to challenge the church and to challenge Christians to rise up for justice the way that God calls us to. Tim Keller said this about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The greatest, he said this, the greatest champion of justice in our era knew that the antidote to racism was not less Christianity, but a deeper and truer Christianity. What I'm calling us to do, to, to be, is to be real followers of Jesus in this day. Billy Graham said, racism is not only a social problem, but racism is a sin. It is also a moral and spiritual issue. Legal and social efforts to obliterate racism, or at least curb its more onerous effects, have a legitimate place. However, the o- only the supernatural love of God can change our hearts in a lasting way and replace hatred and indifference with love and active compassion. So what I want to challenge you to do in all of this is simply pray these two simple prayers. The first prayer is this, God, how do you want me to think, feel, act, and respond? And then listen. Ask God or pray that prayer to God and then listen to him. The second prayer is this, God, what unique God thing are you doing and what do you want me to do? I love how this story ends in Matthew. Matthew chapter 14, verse 32. It says, And when Jesus climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Jesus is in full control of this storm. This, se- this series is called Jesus Overall. Jesus is over everything. Jesus could have calmed the storm when Peter stepped out of the boat, but he didn't. He could have calmed it when Peter felt afraid, but he didn't. He could have calmed it when Peter cried out to him, or he could have prevented the storm from happening altogether, and that's not what he did. But Jesus calmed the storm when he got back into the boat. The presence of Jesus calms every storm, and Jesus is Lord over everything. Let us not forget what Jesus has done for us. I love the last verse of this passage it says that those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Um, I don't know if this story is connected to uh, a country song or not, and I'll close with this. Uh, what a great way to close and start a story. Um, there's a story, um, uh, there's a song, a country song called Two Sparrows in a Hurricane. You guys know that song? Yes. It's a great song. All right. If you like that song, go ahead and give a thumbs up online. Um, but I don't know if this story is connected to this song, but I've, I heard this story years ago, and I've always loved it. Um, there was a storm coming, and there was a farmer who was watching the birds, and he saw a, a whole group of birds that were trying to find a place to go to be safe. And he opened up his barn door, and his hope was that the birds would fly into the barn and be safe from the storm. And he said this, or he had this thought. 
He said, if only I could become like one of them so I could lead them to safety in the barn. I love that thought and idea because that is exactly what Jesus did for us. He became one of us to show us the way to die on a cross for our sins and to take our place. Jesus is the one that leads us through this season and this storm. We've got to keep our eyes focused on him. He is on the throne and only he can save. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the things that you show us. I thank you for the work you do in our hearts and our lives. And I just pray right now for your church and your people. God, these are confusing times, but remind us where our core identity lies, and that is as followers of Jesus. And as Christians, we are not antithetical, or we are not against the movements that are taking place in our country. God, we are, as people who are committed to racial justice, we should be on the forefront of saying, all men created equal in the sight of God. You are a God of justice. At the same time, God, give us wisdom to recognize we do not want to get caught up in all the things that culture is saying we should get caught up in right now. God, keep our eyes focused on you. Help us to show love and grace and rise above all of this. Jesus, I pray that you continue to be our rock and our fortress. Thank you for being our hope, our place of refuge. Thank you for being our answer and our world's answer to the sin that is in every human heart. Jesus, we look to you. We worship you. You are Lord over everything that will never change. We gladly serve and follow you, our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.